Let's begin, shall we? Father, we thank you for this new day. We thank you for your faithfulness to continually um, release to us just the rhema words and the strategies and just the provision, Father, of all we need to equip us to address whatever atmosphere presents itself so that, so that we can continue to move forward in your kingdom and move your message throughout the nations, Father. And so we thank you this morning for um, this word of encouragement. And um, we just bless you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, if you guys had the opportunity to listen to Pastor Ron's sermon last Sunday, and if you didn't, you need to. Um, it's called Space to Repent. You heard him share about the seven churches that Jesus spoke to John about while he was on the Isle of Patmos. And uh, I, so first, I want to thank Pastor Ron for the release of that. Really, it's a really critical teaching, I think, um, for the time frame we're in. Because it's not only very essential in revealing the end-day demonic structure that we're going to be facing, be presented with in the nations, but it also reveals how we're to address that. And while that may not have been fleshed out yet in the teaching, it's there, it's potential, and, you know, we're moving with that. But in addition, it's also very timely and quite helpful for the topic that's been percolating around in my spirit for the last couple months. Um, and that's the advantages that we gain when we overcome. And so I'm going to be borrowing from some of his insights this morning. I just want to make that acknowledgement and that disclaimer before we start because he put a lot of that into that and that kind of formed the foundation for, or the launching point, I should say, for, for my teaching. So um, all of these seven churches, in a, in a way of just review, were located in present-day Turkey. And they show how Satan moves in any society or in any framework. And it really gives us a picture of the operational system of the world and how Satan conducts his business with, within that system. But these churches also show how Jesus presented himself to each part of that demonic progression and how we should be representing him when presented with these same things. And one of the key objectives of what Jesus was telling John in all of this was that we must overcome this demonic structure. So overcoming is part of the pattern of sons that we've already been blessed to really function in in order to be at this point where we are now. We've had to overcome things in order to even be where we're at. Um, but there's really particular aspects to overcome, I think, in the last days that are unique to the last hurrah of the enemy, so to speak, you know, um, because he knows his time is short. You know, he's going to be engaged in some kind of last, last minute type of um, impactful, well, I want to say like condensed type things, uh, tactics, so that he can get his last strikes in. He knows he's going down, how many can I take with me, <laughs> kind of, so to speak. And, and in, so through all this, we've got to be wise and we've got to be able to assess what we're facing so that we can be who we need to be at any given point in time for the sake of God's kingdom. So I think Jesus was very clear throughout his sharing with John here on the necessity to seize each opportunity of demonic assignment and defeat it. And 
that really is a main objective. But there's some pretty amazing advantages that will benefit us and do benefit us as sons when we do overcome. And that's really what I want to focus on this morning. So for the sake of anybody that may be listening to this at any point that's not already walking uh, in this walk of maturing as a son and becoming a son of God, the key, I just want to say, the key to overcoming is not about sheer grit and determination. We know that. But I just want to put that out into the airwaves. The only effective way to overcome, whether it's overcoming this world or overcoming any level of demonic activity, is born out of commune and intercession. And because it's in this place where we come to know the Father and we know him in an intimate way and we begin to hear and embrace the burden of his heart and take that on. And so each of these mandates to the churches to overcome, in each one of them we're going to see the same phrase over and over. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the church or unto the ecclesia. That's because this, this mandate or this phrase is a reference to this same key to overcoming, intimate commune and intercession. Because in this, in this um, phrase here, we see our old friend echo in the word half. And if you remember what that, what that means, it speaks of one who is so closely joined to the Father, there's that picture of intimate commune, that he's imitating or repeating Father's very words, his ideas, the, his actions for the purpose of taking dominion. John told us in 1 John 5, 4 through 5, that there is no other pathway whereby we overcome other than this pathway of faith at the right hand of God. So let's, let's just read that real quick. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Anyone who submits, the handouts are right there, Carmen. Anyone who submits to being formed anew from God's heart is going to overcome the world. And anyone who does not submit to that process will not overcome the world. It's just that simple. That renewal occurs as we continually position ourselves at the right hand of God, prophetically embrace what God says there, and then believe what he said by partnering with it to see it come to completion. Okay, so we've lived that, so now we'll move on. I just I wanted that connection out there, though, for anyone else that might be listening to this in the future. We can all agree, I think, that overcoming is the only choice we have if we're going to function in victory. So, because overcoming is the pathway to conquest, and its benefits are also a part of that success. So let's look at this first one. Um, this first demonic strategy is what I kind of like to call the hook. It, because it's got this luring effect. It's represented by what Ephesus as a city was known for, which was an atmosphere of spiritualism that drew people in. And, you know, we see that with the proliferation of idols of Diana that were being produced in that city. And they really had a far-reaching uh, influence in, really, throughout all the various parts of Asia. People would come from all over Asia Minor to worship at the demonic temple dedicated to Diana there in Ephesus. And they would take these idols back, these little little miniatures, back to their, their homes 
and you know set them up there and and it was so it was this demonic worship that they were involved in and then we also see the same enticement strategy in the way that those influencing voices of that same line of business and making the idols and stuff cradzoed to welcome confusion remember they all gathered together into that big amphitheater and they were crying out about diana and they were really getting the people welcoming this this atmosphere's confusion in order to move the people to oppose the truth of God that Paul was bringing. They, so that was the whole point of that. So we've seen this same tactic employed amongst the saints uh, when an atmosphere of alter, alternate truth is introduced through measures that maybe touch on emotions and stir up iniquities. And this influence is eventually succumbed to because that key of commune and intercession is at some point abandoned. But as Pastor Rana has pointed out on numerous occasions, this same ploy of multiple truths is prolific in our present-day universities and in our churches, and it's continuing to ramp up even more so. So it stands to reason that, when, that we are also going to be presented with these type of um, demonic influences at some point when we go into the nations. And when that seducing tactic is overcome, there's a promise inherent with that overcoming. And we see that here in Revelation 2, 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So overcoming gives us a promise of the authority to partake from the tree of life. So what exactly is the tree of life? Oh, we've had this teaching before, but essentially, it's the pursuit of God's ways. It's that ongoing rhema of life for the world that we live in. You know, our, our Father is so faithful to always release words specific to the moment in order to direct his people and how to function in each new time frame. And I know we're grateful for that because we've, we've been the recipients of these types of words over and over and they always prepare us and equip us to address all that's occurring in that present season or in that time frame that he's leading us into. And when this seducing influence is overcome, God will provide in its place rhema words to feast on. And they're going to aid us in addressing how to move forward in God's plan and away from that lure of other ways of thinking that the world holds in esteem. And these Rema words will also spiritually strengthen those who may have once been enticed by this demonic way of thinking. So kind of works in a twofold way there. We see in Revelation 22 some other attributes of the tree of life. Let me read uh, verse 2 and 22. In the midst of the street of it, it's talking about the New Jerusalem, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manners of fruit, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The resource of these fruits is this, what we just talked about, this continual supply of rhema words. But this is also what allows, um, it's what allows God's people to see what he wants to do or what he's doing in accordance with how his wisdom needs to be applied to that. But in addition, the tree of life continues to generate these leaves that will heal the nations or heal the world. And these leaves are really the strategies and the remedies that are generated to address situations or 
things that are perplexing that we encounter on this path. Their application will restore proper function to the people. It will bring wholeness to sons and it will sustain God's people to press forward in a passionate way to fulfill the vision that he set before them. That's a, that's a wonderful promise. That's our heritage and our authority as overcomers to seek out the deeper words, to ingest them into our spirits and souls and to apply the solutions needed to bring about wholeness and restoration to the world and then to offer this to others. So that is, that's the church, the um, church at Ephesus. The church at Smyrna, if we look at the word Smyrna, um, it means myrrh. And Pastor Ron was talking about this the other day. We know that just the definition of this speaks about being willing to die to ourselves, um, giving of ourselves fully and not becoming bitter about what causes us to need to do that. Um, myrrh was an ingredient of the anointing oil in Scripture, and so thereby it keeps us in the anointing of God when we function and live in this way. So there were faithful ones in the city of Smyrna that were willing to bear the burden of Christ. They were pouring themselves out and dying daily to themselves. But at the same time, this place was also filled with many demonic shrines. They were all over the place. And um, they were not just little things. They, they were grab-your-attention type buildings where Satan wanted to imitate the pattern that God had for man in producing his own sons. That's what he was trying to do. And so we see represented in this people committing themselves to becoming enemies of righteousness. You know, that's, it's kind of mind-boggling when you're in this walk to realize that that's an objective, that's a goal of somebody. But they were devoting themselves to becoming sons of Satan and intercessors for his twisted purpose. But this, this type of influence will need to be overcome as well so that the burden of the Lord can be fulfilled in that place or in those people where he sends us. So Revelation 2, 10 through 11 says, Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. So we've got a twofer here. Yes, I see this realization here that these demonic atmospheres do present persecution for those who are committed to embodying God's burden. But we've known that. We've lived that already. So that's, that's a, an understood thing. But overcoming by continuing to act upon what God has placed within each of us from his right hand and then dying to our own desires and our will until those things are formed within us, will earn us a crown of life. And it says the second death will not hurt us. So what is this second death? It's the same concept as the second birth that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about. Um, you know, when we're born anew from above, when we allow God to really reform us, begin to reform us as his offspring, as in his image, as his sons, well, that's our second birth. Our spirit becomes activated. Um, it becomes alive so that we can begin to grow, mature, expand. And so our physical birth is our first birth when you're born into the world. And then our spiritual birth is our, is our second birth. Well, likewise, when our physical bodies die, 
well, that's our first death. But when we allow our spirits to be starved while we're still alive and allow them to become dulled instead of expand it with the deeper, more intimate things that God designed us to partake of, then we are no longer functioning in the light of our Father and we die spiritually. And that's the second death. It's ultimately, I mean, when you read in Scripture, Satan and all of his cohorts will be thrown into the lake of fire and that's the second death. But when you... I mean, you don't get any debtor than dying spiritually. You know, pouring ourselves out in the midst of these persecuting environments and continuing to die to our own will and our own desires, that is what will keep us aligned with the Spirit of God. That's what will keep us spiritually alive so we can still hear efficiently and we can move forward to fulfill His purpose. So that is an awesome advantage for sure. Now this next church, Pergamum, it means height or elevation and it speaks of a fortified tower of considerable height used to either repel a hostile attack or to enable watchman capacities. You know, Jesus said that Pergamum was where Satan's throne was. So this, this speaks of a desire for world domination and this same influence has really been behind many movements throughout history to try to control the world. I think we're seeing some of that at work right now in some things going on just within the, our nation and others. But in this place, <clears throat> if you'll remember, this is where the bishop of the Pergamos Church, Antipas, was murdered as a martyr. And Pastor Ron kind of went into some detail about that, how that happened. But it, it was a horrendous point of torture. So this really represents the demonic stronghold of Satan himself directing his underling and his human representatives to do whatever is necessary to keep the saints from partnering with the words from God's throne. It's all about this, this uh, battle for the high places. you know. And, and so what Satan wants to do is either is to destroy the saints in this process and thereby destroy the works that God desires to have done in whatever place that is. So in Pergamon, there were also some demonic philosophies that were at work. We had the, the Balaam effect, where twisted prophetic words were released to keep God's people from moving forward. And then you had the Nicolate, Nicolaitans, where there's that anything go, goes mentality that's kind of ruling. And so it's like you, you find your truth wherever you want to find it, and it can be truth. Both of these strategies are being used in this, in this particular place, or not in this place, but also that's what we're going to be presented with, as recruiting devices to sway the people to do whatever Satan wants, rather than what God wants. So Revelation 2.17 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone, a new name written, which no man knows, saving he that receives it. So to all who will, to those who will give all of, all of themselves for the calling of God, they're given two things. The privilege to eat of the hidden manna is the first. So that's the right to consume hidden yet very vital words of God. You know, just as the children of Israel had to, to go out every single morning and gather their portion of nourishment in the wilderness. We're promised a continual allotment of God's word, his presence, and 
We're promised the territory that he's chosen for us. And so as we give all of ourselves to the working of God's truth, and as we rejoice and look for God's will, even in the midst of persecution without entertaining bitterness, Jesus promises us these vital yet hidden provisions through his word and through his presence that will aid us in moving forward in his plan. And we've also received this too thus far. Um, the second thing is given, we'll be given a white stone with a new name written in it that nobody knows except us. You know, in the ancient courts of justice, they used stones to either condemn an individual or to acquit them, and it was based on whatever the color was. A white stone was for acquittal, a black stone was for um, condemnation. Though this white stone is our authority as saints to judge, to discern the tobe from the raw, or to know what needs to be spiritually applied in a given scenario in order for God's purpose to be achieved. That's, that's a big deal. And the new name spoken of is this new identity that we not only stepped into when we were first called to this walk, but it's the ongoing enhancement of that as we move from being a son, really from a saint, to a son, to an heir, to a joint heir with Christ. It's part of that process. And along the way, our identity is augmented. It grows. You know, the enemy may think that he's ensconced in a high place and can direct the destruction of everything that God wants to restore on this earth. But our calling is higher than anything of this world. Amen. We are citizens of heaven. And we are privileged to share in the mysteries of the Most High. We are privileged to share in this ongoing, really, ascension of our relationship with him. And we're privileged to share in the acquisition of spiritual territory that the enemy really can't do anything to stop. Our authority comes from God himself as he changes us from glory to glory and expands his kingdom on this earth. So, amen to that. Amen. This next influence in Thyatira is what Pastor Ron has been kind of focusing on this past week in the various teachings um, and he's relating that to where we are presently. This, the overriding effect in the city of Thyatira and what we're experiencing in the world right now is this demonic Jezebel effect, where it's also being used to recruit people. But in this case, it's, it's for the purpose of them pursuing the supply of the world system rather than the supply of God. These wicked atmospheres are tapping the best of the best the skilled and most creative people, and convincing them to partner and welcome demonic teachings, even into the churches of God. And the more this occurs, the more this type of wicked atmosphere is generated and welcomed by the people. We, we learned that Wednesday, listening to Wednesday Night Live. So Revelation 2, 25 through 26 says, but that which you have echo already, that which you have already, hold fast. Sorry, I read the word echo there for have. That which you have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. You know, in these evil atmospheres that are reaching out to enlist the people of God, even the people of God, to join in with the world's perspective and pursuits, 
we've got to continue to echo back what God has already given us. And we've got to curtail that until Jesus returns. We've got to hang on to the terrain we've already taken dominion over. And we've got to maintain it. We've got to continue to invest ourselves in it through prayer. We've got to continue to intercede for its total restoration and believe that it will be fulfilled. So our mode of operandi needs to be belief in what God has said and what he's given us. And then our words and our actions need to align with that belief. So just to go over a few things we know he said, God has said he's raising up an end time army in South America. He will. So we need to continue to pray for this and declare what God says about it. God has said he's going to make an opening for a mighty move of African Americans to step into this walk of sonship. He will. So we've got to continue to pray for this and declare whatever he reveals about that. God has said he's going to open ancient wells in the northeast section of our nation to flood across our land with moves of his spirit. He will. So we need to continue to pray for that and declare the reality of it. God has said he's going to raise up Elisha's to stand beside us as Elijah's. He's going to do that. And so we have to continue to intercede for the Elisha's and speak his truth into them. God has said he's going to bring mighty visitations to this earth. He will. So we've got to continue to talk to God about this and praise forward whatever he shows us about that. So what has God told each of you? We've got to believe that and continue to intercede for it and speak of it as though it already is because he's going to fulfill his word. Overcoming in this way will give us exousia over the nations. We gain the authority and the anointing to fulfill the wishes and the purpose of God's original intent for this earth. And as a result, we become instruments for God to use to touch the hearts of these same skilled and creative individuals so they can repent and turn to the righteous vision of the Lord. Sardis. That's the next church that Jesus spoke to John about. It was known, uh, really it was described as a very luxurious city in Asia Minor, and it was the capital of Lydia. Really, it was the money capital of the known world at that time. And they were the people there were known for their wealth, but even with all of their acquired riches, there was, really, there was no real life in the people. Even the saints in the Sardis church struggled with being constant in their calling, often failing to complete the assignments that God gave them. This push for things and for control bled over into their identities and Jesus warned them that they needed to repent from that. We see this kind of on a smaller scale with leaders in our present day government and our present day educational system and our present day medical system and even in the church where that tug of wealth and control causes people to cross that line and give up the very thing that they once committed themselves to defend but to the remnant of devoted ones that have overcome and that overcome this by continuing to stay pure in their devotion and focus on the will of God, there is a promise in Revelation 3.5. He that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. You know, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking a lot of these things we have we're experiencing already. And 
I don't think we take them for granted, but it would be easy to do so and to think that this, this is the norm, which it should be, rather than it really is the exception when you look out into even the church world. You know, these things that we just take as second nature because we're so used to functioning in this way, most of the church has no clue they even exist. So, anyway, this is another twofer. First, it's a promise of being clothed in white raiment, of being covered in the anointing of God's calling and ways, of being covered in the brilliance of his truth so that dark places are exposed to his light. We carry that. We carry that. We embody that. That goes with us. I mean, it's not something you can divorce yourself of unless you set about to purposely do that. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? You can't, it doesn't just, you don't just lose it because you go into a place that's challenging. It goes with you. And it exposes, exposes, it pushes back that dark. Um, the, that's why, you know, even when you find yourself out in um, society, people will kind of respond to you in a different way. They don't even know why because of that light that you carry, because of that truth that's just eminent within your spirit. You know, it's shining out whether people can, people can tell what it is or not. It still is an influencing factor. The second thing is the promise of keeping our names in the book of life, of filling our identity with the breath of God so that vigor, vitality, and expectancy increases within our spirit. You know, without the strength and the strength and the efficiency of God's spirit actively moving within us, our spiritual character be, will become lifeless and void of the anointing that we so desperately need to walk in really pure Zoe life. Overcoming offers this continual supply of vigor to our identities. And Jesus also promises to confess our identity before his heavenly father and before the angels. That just simply means he is in agreement that we are functioning from the same source that he functions in, the Father's will. And he's partnering. He's telling the Father and the angels, I'm partnering with them in this. They're my brothers. We're one. So the fact that he does that before the heavenly host as well is so that they will be activated to partner with us in these same things. So again, another, another privilege that has been an ongoing thing that we've done, but it increases too. I mean, it's, it's going to be used in marvelous ways in these end days. The church at Philadelphia, that, that word Philadelphia represents rulers maintaining control through manipulative positioning. That's kind of my slant on that. You know, the power base there incorporated familial relationships in order to keep overall control of the region. I know you guys, if you listened to the teaching, you heard about, you know, the ruler that had no, um, had no heirs, but he had a brother. So the city of brotherly love isn't about all of this, oh, let's just come together. It's more about, well, I can keep, keep control. I, I don't want this brother, you know, rising up and overthrowing me and killing me in order to gain control. So I'll just give him this city over here so that we can all keep it in the family, you know. And we can all function together. And I suppose you could call this a sort of nepotism to keep all the control in the family. But it really, it also maintained the fact that all the cities would be connected and functioning on the same page, connecting and functioning together. You know, these same conditions will be at work within the nations. And we're going to need to overcome that. 
there'll be some presentation of familiar control where the changes that God wants to introduce are not welcomed by that controlling factor. In addition, as in the Philadelphia church, we will see imposters, you know, Jews that call themselves Jews, but they are not, um, who will present themselves as those who will praise God and submit themselves to his purpose, you know, knowing what praise is, is to speaking forward. But in reality, they are really of the synagogue of Satan. They are false worshipers. But God promises opportunities for even these counterfeit individuals to be able to come into a point of discernment between what true worship is, what true submission is, and what true agape really looks like, and to be able to embrace that. That's, yeah, yay. So we've got to continue to believe what God has said he will do as we sustain and keep the dominion that we've been entrusted with. So Revelation 3.12 says, He that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new or my Kanos name. Now the promise for the overcomer here is, one, we will be made a pillar or a stelos in the dwelling place of God. We know what that means. We're going to be used as a conduit of obedience wherever God places us, wherever he positions us, wherever he directs us to go. And we'll be able to draw on the presence of God. We'll be able to draw on the supply. And we'll be able to draw on the power of God that he has for that place. We're going to need that. So that's a good thing. <laughs> Two, we shall no more go out. That's kind of an interesting phrase, but I think it's really, as, as insignificant as it kind of looks, it's very powerful. Go out here is the word exokomahi, ex and it means, I probably butchered that, and it means to go out of an assembly, to forsake it, to be used of a thing vanishing, or of a hope which has disappeared. So the overcomer becomes a permanent touch point wherever God's presence has been established. And he doesn't have to worry about the loss of anointing or about the deposits in that histemi being depleted or that the seed of faith that is released will fall through the cracks or be crushed. It won't return void. We have that promise. So the overcomer abides in God himself and has access to all that is transmitted from God's heart. Thirdly, I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. This promise involves Jesus describing us with, in the same words that he describes the authority of God's heart. And that's a, a description that's eternal. So the New Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. And this is the internal inscription of our identity as Christ's bride. And fourthly, I will write upon him my new name. So in addition, our identity and our authority is going to be augmented by measures of supply that are fresh and useful for the present season or for that specific thing that God's doing at any Kairos moment. Hallelujah. Finally, this last church or city, Laodicea, represents riches through capitalism. Now, in the natural, 
the focus here was on the acquisition and the use of worldly things. And it, it basically took on the persona of what we might think of as like a resort type of destination for the rich and the famous. This influence is definitely a demonic tactic that's intended to subdue and reroute the passion of an individual who's breathing hard after God's purpose. Or I would even go so far as to say one who's being led to breathe that way. Um, and we see this very thing occurring within the Laodicean church because they vacillate it. What did God say? You're neither hot or cold. I wish you were one or the other, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. They vacillate it between this lethargic indifference and an earnest love for the deeper things of God. You know, it's just like back and forth, back and forth. Can't stay in one place, you know. And it was caused by this draw to this demonic atmosphere of wealth. And I suppose this wealth wouldn't necessarily just be money or, th or things. It could be the, the wealth of knowledge. It could be the wealth of, of um, controlling your, you know, things to control your, the situation, your own life. So that, you know, when you put up a kind of like a defense barrier of things so you can't be hurt. You're actually controlling. You're trying to control your own atmosphere. So, you know, any of these type of things, you, it's an expanse. You've got to expand this definition to see whatever would appeal to somebody um, in this way that's going to keep them tugged in a tug of war back and forth. But Revelation 3.21 says, To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. So the advantage to the overcomer is here is that he gains the right, or we gain the right, to sit with our brother Jesus at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. And in turn, there's a flow of the Father's will that's released and the ability to oversee that flow on behalf of the saints. And what does proper flow guarantee? Victory over the enemy. You saw that at, even at the bottom of the hill of, of the Mount of Transfiguration. And the enemy had things all riled up down there. You've got this wonderful thing going up on the mountain. And then down below all this ridiculous demonic stuff where even the disciples couldn't break through and, and do what they needed to do. That's because there was, there was not a proper flow. Once Jesus has reestablished that flow, what happened? All that foolishness stopped. Right on the spot. So these are, these are some amazing benefits and advantages that yes, we have partaken of a lot of them. But in the days to come, they're, they're going to be key advantages as well that it's already in our arsenal that are going to be enhanced, they're going to be uh, heightened, they're going to be added to with the power of God, and they're going to be very appropriate for what we what we need to go forward even from that place. Um, Revelation 2, 7, 21, 7 is not part of this uh, letter to the churches, but, well, it is, and not to the churches directly, but it's still part of what uh, Jesus was showing John. And he told him, he that overcomes, he that remains in there for the prize and overcomes all of these atmospheres, all of these challenges, all of these um, conditions that are going to be present 
in these end time scenarios. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. Is that not the objective of this walk? If, and so if that's true, then uh, overcoming is an objective. <laughs> you know, um, this, this is really the ultimate happy ending to a good story. <laughs> you know, except that we know that this is just really the beginning point that launches us into what we will do throughout eternity. You know, so to look at this uh, as maybe we were raised to look at it as something that is going to be what we gain once we get to heaven is really abdicating a lot. It's abdicating every bit of authority that God has offered us for the here and now. It's, it's thrown away, it's throwing away the whole reason we were created and given and breathed life into for this earth, to live on this earth. You know, it's not just to, to make it through. So, much, so many Christians think it's just to endure and make it through and be a good person and help people. And it's like, there's so much more. You want to be who God really created you to be. And God is leading us into these end times equipped with all of this. All of this is in our toolbox so that we can share this with the people that when the atmospheres really ramp up, at the same time they're ramping up with the enemy, the Lord's atmospheres are ramping up as well. And we cannot forget that. It's not just a, oh, it's getting worse. We're going to have to fight it. It's, it's getting worse. And yes, we bring in as well because we are a seasoned army and he's raising up others to join us we're to, to meet these atmospheres and to overcome them. To overcome them. They will be overcome. And so these are all promises that we experience now, and every one of them is a direct result of continued commune and intercession. These are advantages gained from our defeat of the enemy's tactics. And you know, God is so very good to continue to encourage us with, with these things and to equip us with them to further expand his eternal kingdom. And it's interesting that he's left this remnant of teachings, you know, for this point in time. He didn't bring these out when we first were in this walk. He didn't bring these out 10 years after we were in this walk. He's bringing them out now because we need them now. And we need to know what he's done in us to this point to be able to use them now. Yeah. Carmen, do you want to say something? Okay. Well, I've got one more line to say. but if you... All right, well. I just want to say, we are the heirs of all things. And these aren't my words. These, these are the words of Jesus himself, the Spirit of God. So when we overcome, God's heart is ours. And we are his sons. Amen. Okay, ma'am. I just can express a happiness at what you just said. It, that um, with everything that's going on and what things have been declared out loud by everybody, everybody, um, <laughs> the, the, um, that I'm overcome with the joy of how many opportunities that the Lord is creating. Yes. I mean, it's just overwhelming and exciting and yet overwhelming. <laughs> so I just want to say timely teaching. Well, thank you, Lord. 
Anybody else? Annette wants to say something. So these teachings are so cool. I mean, your teaching goes with a bunch of stuff that's been taught here, and even with the most recent things, spiritual atmosphere that Pastor Ron talked about, how important it is for us to, I mean, know that it's not going to be easy and still keep going. Know, know that it's, 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 you know, for the rest of our lives, it's just going to be, this is it. I mean, this is part of subduing. It's, it's going to be, not, it's not going to feel exactly like a battle all the time, but it's, it's going to be a battle all the time. Well, part of our identity is, is a soldier. It's, it's part of the, it's a warrior. Mm -hmm. So you don't expect, a warrior never expects anything to be easy. In fact, a warrior expects easy in the fact that he's overcoming. That's what the easy is. Right, exactly. I've got the, the weapons and I've got the tools and I've got the strategies and I'm going to overcome this, this enemy and that's the easy part because I've got it all. And even in those times where it seems like you're being defeated... Because, you know, we have those natural eyes that get us in trouble, and then we have our spiritual eyes that we always need to have open. But even those times where it seems like the enemy is overcoming us, that is still a strategy within a strategy, that God is still right there. We learn something. We come back a different route, a different way, and, and it's, all, it's just all part of this walk that we've been doing, but here it, here it is more smack in our face. It's true. Now let me ask you this, though. Would you not agree that those, those times when you feel like you're being defeated, that they really don't have the impact that they, they once had at the beginning of this walk? I can because see, you, I agree you with don't that. Really, I'm not even sure if there's a feeling like I'm being defeated. I, you, feel, you feel that pressure. I, I would have to say, personally, it's, it's that pressure. But always in my spirit and always in my heart, I know God's, God's in control. And he's been working that out like in me, but I'm sure in all of you guys that it's like, God, it just doesn't seem like anything's up. I don't care. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep walking. And now here we are where we see that that praying and that walking is producing fruit that I didn't know was going to be there. I didn't, you know, I love that part about God yeah. too. He continually amazes us, continually. Amen. Anybody else? The Church of Smyrna, I think, describes the remnant because, <laughs> let's go back to Smyrna. It Lord. says, uh, saved from spiritual death. <laughs> we are saved from spiritual We are active in our walk. Uh, we have that faith. We know God's uh, word, that two-edged sword. That's, that's huge, okay, and then our identity, anointing of truth, uh, uh, the Church of Sardis, believe what God said, and then move in that. Oh, my God. The accelerant that he has placed in me, which they call cancer. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I mean, it, it just made me dive in and read the word and believe it and walk in it. Um, and our authority over the nation, I mean, that Thyatira, you know, that really is uh, current events, like you said, Vicki. But when Pastor Ron said, um, these seven churches, this is like uh, operational management. 
manual. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was just going to express that I think it's amazing that Father continues. I mean, we've wa- we've gone into this walk with the knowledge of well, He's not going to take you and not provide for where you are, and here we can see He has provided for us every step of the way, even to the point of releasing. <laughs> Teachings that are going to that have um, clarified what we've walked through and given even more. Um, that's what I'm looking for. Grounding for moving forward. So yeah, amen. <laughs> yep, yep. And and every time you know that happens too, he's he's also. Lay, making it even easier to trust him with everything and give him everything. You know, it's just, it is amazing. So, so Lord, we thank you. We thank you for all the, the rhema words and, and the logos that you are pouring out right now and the way that you are strengthening our framework, strengthening the structure, maybe not the framework, but the structure that we're building upon, Father, in our lives and you really are, you really are um, enforcing the army. You really are and reinforcing the army. Um, but we, we just thank you for every point of your provision, Father, yes. and for the goodness, the absolute goodness and faithfulness that you extend to us mm-hmm. as, your, as your saints and your sons. Yes. Amen. Amen.